My guest today is Jean Rice, one of the authors of the book, Grad to Grown Up, 68 Tips to Excel in Your Personal and Professional Life. Stick around to the end of the podcast and learn the name of the lucky winner of Grad to Grown Up by Jean Rice and his daughter, Courtney. He also will be giving a t-shirt to the 10th person to download excerpts from his book. The link to download the excerpts is in the show notes. Jean Rice is a former rock and roll club owner turned salesperson, then manager, then executive. And he's been a business owner for more than 30 years. He is a rag to riches story from an immigrant family barely making ends meet to becoming the regional manager overseeing all East Coast operations at a, a division of an international Fortune 100 company by the age of 32. He was promoted five times in seven years and won the Executive of the Year Award. He's also, along with his wife, the founder of a nonprofit organization to benefit children, and he is a grandfather. Welcome to the podcast. Listeners are in for a real treat with you today. Thank you for inviting me, and I always enjoy talking to other grandparents because it's one of the greatest gifts my wife and I feel we've received. How old are your grandchildren? I have one that's nine. I have one that is six, and then we have two others uh, that will turn... One will turn four and one will turn two this month. So we have four of them. And my wife and I actually volunteered, Carolyn. We watch the grandchildren two days a week, every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's great, but the two-year-old and the four-year-old are dropped off at 8 a.m. The day doesn't end until after 6 p.m. So I will tell you, come 6 p.m., I am exhausted. It's been great, but I'm exhausted. And that's because your daughter works a couple of days a week and needs childcare? Well, my oldest daughter has three. And she's a speech pathologist and she works two days a week. So we volunteered when she had her first one to to watch them those two days. And then my youngest daughter, Courtney, who I wrote the book with, is a high school English teacher. And she has her first son. So two days a week, we take him. The other three days, they put him in daycare. That's really nice. Before we get started about the book, there is a foundation that you and your wife have started. And would you tell us about that, please? Yeah, in 2008, my wife and I started the charity. It's called the Plant a Seed Inspire a Dream Foundation, Carolyn. It's uh, plantaseedfoundation.org uh, is the website. And all my personal proceeds, anything that comes from this book, are, are being donated directly to the charity to help more kids. The charity basically takes children that have a passion, but maybe their family is going through a hard time financially and can't afford it. Then we will step in and we will find that we've helped over almost 800 kids now. Their passions are across the board, but we'll step in. We'll find either the karate teacher, the sensei, the guitar teacher, the dance instructor. We will then find them, find them the correct mentor. Then we connect them together. We give them an annual scholarship. We meet with the family and the child and the mentor up front. And then every month we check in. If it's going well, then we will then renew the scholarship. And we've had some wonderful, wonderful, a young man uh, just recently who we've been sponsoring in drum lessons just got a drum scholarship to a private prestigious high school. So we felt great about that. We had a young, uh, another young man that we were helping. He started with us in fourth grade. And when I met with him, he was very small and he wanted to take karate lessons, Carolyn. He was getting bullied in school. And we happened to find an unbelievable sensei like two blocks from where he lived. So the young man since fourth grade has been taking karate four or five days a week. He walks over and walks home. 
And just recently he turned 15. He's now a second degree black belt. And the instructor, the owner of the studio reached out to my wife and I and said, uh, you no longer have to pay for him. He's now going to be my assistant and help me train other kids. So we have so many of those examples and it comes from our own children. We know our own children. They all had different passions growing up. And, and what did those passions do, Carolyn? It connected them with positive role models, whoever that coach or that teacher is, or that music teacher. It built their self-esteem. There were some weeks where maybe that was the one thing. It was the ray of sunshine on a cloudy, uh, cloudy day because they were having a rough week. And depending on the passion, it connected them with like-minded kids. My son, I told you, is getting married at the end of April. Four of his groomsmen are young men that he played travel and AAU basketball with since fourth grade. So we don't want a family that's maybe having a little difficulty financially for their children not to have the same opportunity to pursue their passions. So that's what the charity is all about. That is so commendable of you to do that. How do people find out about the charity? They simply go to the website. There's an application they fill out. So it's plantaseedfoundation.org. And you can read all about it. But there's an application. They submit it. And it's real grassroots. My wife and I do it. And I will tell you, Carolyn, my wife does all the day-to-day stuff. Uh, I get involved in meeting all of them and, and the mentors and stuff. We used to have, you know, we had one person working for us a couple of times. And then we, you know, we wanted to stay very close to it. So it's very grassroots. We've been blessed that we've been able to financially support it ourselves. We have a, a family trust that we set up that takes care of the kids. That is so, so nice of you to do that. I love when CEOs give back to the community and you can tell it's from your heart. I have the advantage of yeah. having spoken with you for about an hour a month ago and I just want to assure listeners that you are a genuinely nice person. And I really appreciate all that you're doing for the, for the country, for the world. So thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, to me, I feel that's just something my wife always, and I always embraced. The giving back, even before we were financially blessed, Carolyn, it was just something that was inside of both of us. I remember we didn't have much money, but I remember my wife and I used to run charity events for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, a three-on-three basketball tournament at my house. And the first year we raised like three grand, but by the final year, we raised like over 60 grand and took care of a bunch of wishes. But it's just something that I believe in. It's something my wife really strongly believes in. And I think uh, everyone can help at least someone. Ronald Reagan who said that, but it's something I believe in. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I know that you were not born a CEO of an international corporation. You have seen the difficult days. Do you mind sharing some of your personal journey? Yeah, my personal journey. I mean, I look back, I, I think it was a blessing. You know, my dad was born in Ireland, Carolyn. He didn't come over here until he was 26 years old. And he came over during a famine. He ended up becoming a steam fitter. I think uh, in Pennsylvania, they're called pipe fitters now. It was a blue collar job. And my mom and him, we had six children. I was the, the oldest boy. And, you know, I never felt poor, but I learned very young that if I wanted something, I would have to, you know, earn the money to pay for it. You know, uh, th- there wasn't there wasn't very much extra money. You know, I had a paper out young and then I, you know, as soon as I turned and I was a caddy and when I turned 16, I got my first job at McDonald's and it's just something I learned. I look back and I think my work ethic might have come from my examples of my mom and dad, but uh, I, I went to St. John's and, you know, my first career, believe it or not, back in those days, I was a bartender in this club in Long Island. And then it was a very small place. It expanded, started having live music. I became the manager. 
And at the end of it, I owned a, a small piece of it and ran the day-to-day operations and the club became very successful. It only booked original music. So we only booked bands that wrote their own music and we had some great bands that, that played there like the Ramones and Bo Diddley and Richie Havens and the Stray Cats and uh, Billy Joel's guitar player, who's still a good friend of mine, started in the club. And then I left that and opened the second place with my brother. And that place was a complete failure, Carolyn, a complete failure. I happened to open up in a town that did not want live music. <laughs> the neighbors just uh, and the police just took a while, but they closed us down. And and my wife, she said she would marry me as long as I got out of that business. And thank God I did. I went into corporate America and I started with a uh, division of that time, an international Fortune 100 firm called Alcatel, a French company. And I went from sales to sales management to general management to district management. And I ended up with Alcatel running East Coast operations for them and probably had over a thousand people reporting to me. It was a wonderful career opportunity, but it was one that I was never home. I was always traveling and we had a young family and uh, my wife and I made a decision that I wanted to be home at night more. So I actually opened my own search firm with uh, uh, one of my general managers from Alcatel called Rice Cohen International. To me, it wasn't about the money because I was being compensated very well in corporate America, but it was about being home at night and having more balance. The firm went on to become one of the largest uh, executive retained search firms. I've placed over a thousand C-level executives. My firm has placed tens of thousands. Now, a couple of years ago, I did transition it to my son and my son-in-law. I'm still involved. They bring me in, but I'm not doing the day-to-day operations anymore. So we've been very, very blessed. Like I said, financially, the firm has done extremely well and it's allowed us to, to give back. And that's what the book's based on, Carolyn, you know? For 30 plus years, every summer for eight weeks, I would bring into my, you know, my firm four college interns going into their senior year. Once a week, we, we had these young adults in my office. I felt it was important that I spend time with them. And I would spend a couple of hours a week with them, giving them what I call Gene's life lessons, things I wish I knew when I was going into my senior year. And what came out of it was all these questions they had. And can you talk about this? Can you talk about that? What amazed me was how ill-prepared a number of them were to start not only their professional lives, but their personal lives. So the book is basically 68 tips, all the mistakes I made and what I learned from. (laughs) And uh, my mission is to give young people just a roadmap that maybe they can avoid some of the bumps in the road if they spend the time to read the book. You talk about internships. I think that is a fabulous way to decide if a particular type of job profession is important or if you are a good fit for that. I use the example of I've read about a number of lawyers or would-be lawyers who thought they wanted a legal career. And then after an internship, they decided they couldn't handle it. So I am a firm believer in that. So talk to me about your vision of internships and why they're important. I think it's so critical, Carolyn. I mean, so, so critical. And I'll give you some personal examples in my own life. But a lot of young people, when I would ask them, why did you choose this career? Why are you going in this path? Somebody in their life that was influential to them made a recommendation to them that, you know, you know, you can make a living. This is a good career. But they've had no experience with it. Right. So to give you an example, Courtney, who I wrote the book with, she went to Lehigh University. 
she majored, she had a double major in economics and English. At Lehigh, if you had a 3.75 GPA after your senior year, they would pay for your advanced degree. And she had like a 3.92 and she stayed and she got her advanced degree. Now, I know from my executive search firm, because we worked with a lot of the big consulting firms, the big consulting firms would, they're all over someone like Courtney, you know, at a Lehigh, a good university like that. But she thought she wanted to be a lawyer. And listen, my brother-in-law had the same experience that, you know, that you had. He uh, went to a great law school. He uh, went to NYU. He graduated in the top 25% of his class. My son-in-law went to Boston College Law School, graduated in the top 25%. They both went and worked for big law firms, and they absolutely hated, hated being a lawyer. You know, the billable hours, the day-to-day. And I said to my daughter, I said, Court, before you do this, before you take this path, let me see if I can help you find a small firm that might give you some real exposure to, to what a lawyer is. And we were lucky enough, Carol, and I found a, a small firm where I knew uh, one of the partners who took her in and exposed her to everything that was involved with being a lawyer. So the research element of it, the administrative, but then he took her into the courtroom a number of days so she could see it. When she finished that internship that summer, she came to me and said, Dad, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. My real passion is being a teacher. I love being in the classroom. And she followed that passion. And when she's in that classroom, Carolyn, because I've observed her a couple of times, you can see somebody that is so, so happy with what she does. And, and I really believe one of the goals in life should be, and young people need to hear this, is to find something that you sincerely love doing and then doing it well enough that you can make a living doing that. Because I really believe that if you can find that, you don't wake up in the morning going to work. You wake up in the morning going to something you love. Your personal health is better. Your relationships are better. The glass isn't half full. Sometimes the glass can be overflowing. And I know in my own executive search career, the executives, in my opinion, that were most successful and added the most value were not only ones that were extremely talented professionally, but they had balance and they found purpose in their lives. I read a survey recently. And they interviewed 2,000 executives. 81% of these 2,000 executives said they did not have job satisfaction in what they were doing. And that was my experience too, Carolyn. You know, these were people not making six figures. Some of them were making seven figures, but they woke up and they were going to work, to, you know, for a paycheck. I think grandparents can really reinforce that. Don't give up your passions. Try to find that. Now, listen, not all young people are going to find that right away. Hopefully the first job they do, the second job is going to help them maybe steer them when they do find that thing to go for it, you know, to really give it every chance you can. That's one of the things in the book. We talk about how young people can pursue their passions. You know, a lot of them don't have any idea how to get a job, not only a job, but an interview with something they're interested in. And in the book, we walk them through a plan on how they can do that. Can you give us one tip on how to prepare for a job interview? What are the important points. I walk them through in the book, a five-step process. And to me, if they're able to follow this at the end of the interview, they're going to be able to not only, I think, do well, but if they don't do well, they'll understand where they are in the process. I'll go over it quickly, but I also believe, and as grandparents, we can reinforce this. I also believe that one of the skills that are really important to develop in a young person is I want every young person to become an, what I call an A-plus interviewer. Because the better you are at interviewing, when you finally find that job you really want and you're interviewing against other candidates, 
the one who is the A plus interview gets the offer, right? So it's a skill that I think they're not being taught well enough. You know, before I go into the five steps, they got to do research. They got to, you know, understand the company and, and everything about that. But when they're in that actual interview, first step with young people, you have to give them things that, that hit home with them, right? So I'll say to a young person, okay, I want to prepare you for this interview. Now, let me ask you a question. Before I prepare you, I want you to fast forward 10 years from now. You're now a manager in your career, and you're interviewing for a position that reports directly to you. You interviewed five candidates, and at the end of the process, you have two candidates that are both qualified to do the job and do it well. Their experience is extremely similar. You can hire either one of them, and they're going to be able to come in and do a really phenomenal job for you. But all you have is one job. What's going to make you pick one over the other? What do you think might influence you to pick one over the the other? And Carolyn, you know, I've gotten a million answers to that response, but then they'll finally say, I'll probably hire the one I like better. I say, absolutely. So your first responsibility in this interview is to build rapport and chemistry with the person you're interviewing with. And then you got to tell them how to do that. I coach them on, you know, you, you got to Google the executive, look at their LinkedIn profile, try to find if there's any connections anywhere. And if you can't find any connections at all, then when you go in for that interview, steal with your eyes, look around the office. And if nothing else, talk about the weather, but try to get them talking about something that doesn't have to do with the job. Because reality is they're going to pick the person. And, and I can tell you, Carolyn, in doing search for 30 plus years, it's amazed me how I put a short list of candidates in front of a team. And the one that I thought was least qualified right, uh, because of the experience and, and not being equal to some of the others, because they had a connection, because they were so strong at building that relationship, how many of them were actually offered the job? So that's the first thing I tell them. That's the first step to build chemistry. And I don't know if you ever experienced that in your own life, Carolyn, but it's really important in the interviewing process. Step two, and again, you have to tell the, you, you got to, put it in front of the young person so they can relate to it. So I'll say to the young person, okay, let me ask you a question before we go on. How much better would you do on a test if you had the answers for the test before you took the test? <laughs> and they'll all say, I do a lot better. I said, absolutely. The second thing I want to share with you is most young people in an interview, Carolyn, they base what they think the company's looking for based on a job description right? That maybe they received online. Sometimes it's based on what the recruiter has told them the company's looking for. And what they don't understand is how that job description is put together. And what they don't understand is that in an interviewing process, they're normally going to meet with three to five people individually. And each one of those people are going to have a little different criteria, a little different spin on what they're looking for. The HR or talent acquisition person they're gonna look for something a little different than the direct manager might. They're both gonna look for something different than what maybe the senior executive might or the peer might. So what I try to coach them around is upfront as early as they can to ask a simple question. You know, they have to role play and get it in their own words, but to say upfront something like, I researched the company, I was really interested in meeting with you. I have read the job description, but I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing with me what's most important to you in the background of the candidate you want to bring in to do this role and shut up and listen. And then 
the first two or three things that that person is going to say back to them, those are the things most important to that individual. And then it's the candidate's responsibility before that interview is over to show that person how they match to their criteria. So that's the second thing. The third thing real quick, I'm going through this quickly, but the book breaks it down. Each one of these sections is a separate chapter. They're going to be asked a series of questions. They have to be prepared to answer those questions. And I take them through There's a real common interviewing approach now called behavior-based interviewing. So I take them through and explain that to them and, and explain to them how they have to prepare. But they're also going to have an opportunity at some point during that interview, someone's going to say to them, do you have any questions for me? And they have to be able to ask win-win questions. I want them to be able to get every one of their questions answered before they accept the role. But early on, they have to ask win-win questions. And, you know, it's funny, you know, my, my son a couple of years ago asked me if I would help one of his friends because one of his friends was graduating from a, a Penn State University. They had, a, uh, they had an engineering degree, a really good GPA. I knew the friend, Carolyn. He looked like he walked out of GQ magazine, but he had nine interviews and got rejected from nine companies. Now, that's not what should happen with an engineering student from Penn State with a good GPA. So when I started, before I helped him, I started asking him, well, take me through it. What kinds of questions are you asking? You know, and he asked one client, hey, I, I understand your stock price has been really going down. Can you tell me why, right? <laughs> Another one of the companies, one of the senior executives, I guess online, he found that they, there was some sexual harassment charges against them. And he asked how the company was dealing with that. And I'm like, listen, I want you to get those questions answered, but you don't ask those questions up front. So let me give you some win-win questions. And for your audience, if they have any grandchildren that are going through this or changing careers, on the website of the book, gradtogrownup.com, there's a free chapter that they can download on win-win questions in an interview. So I help them prepare for the kinds of questions they want to ask. Right? That, that's the third step. The fourth step is towards the end of the interview. And young people don't realize this, you know, until they experience, you know, a lot of them have a hard time dealing with rejection and failure, right? That's another thing I talk about in the book. I say to them up front, I've been doing search for 30 years. I want you to understand one thing from my perspective. Everyone who does any type of interviewing will always have some sort of concerns about the person they're interviewing. Sometimes the concern is I'm overqualified. Sometimes the concern is I'm underqualified. But the only time I ever got concerned is when there is no concerns, because in reality, they're the buying signals. What's not acceptable for you is not to have an opportunity to hear any of those concerns verbalized to you and be given an opportunity to address them if they're false and overcome them and get agreement that they're no longer a concern or to minimize them and maximize your strengths. And let me share with you how you go about asking that question. And I'll take them through. I'll say at the end of this interview, if you feel this way, I want you to say to them, really excited about spending some time with you after, after interviewing with you, I can tell you that my interest has gone up and here's why. And then based on what you've told me you were looking for, I think I'm a really good match and here's why. Do you have any concerns that I could add value to the XYZ company in this role? And see what they say. And a lot of it is just telling them how to address if someone comes back and say, you know, I really liked you, but you don't have enough experience. Teaching them not to accept that and how to address that. Say, yes, I, I'm sorry, I don't have five years experience. All I have is two years experience. 
But what I do have is this, this, and this. And I promise you, you will not find anyone that will be in the office earlier, who will work later, who will build better relationships with the staff, who will be a team player, who will be loyal. And if given an opportunity, I promise you, you won't regret this decision. Just teaching them how to address that, not how to accept it, right? And then the last thing is, I, I teach them, young people leave an interview and they think they did great, and they don't hear from anyone for two or three weeks, I teach them on how they need to end the interview and how they need to pin down the next steps. So uh, I went over this really quick, but the book will break it through and, and, and take them through that step for step. And if nothing else, they know where they stand when they leave the interview, if they follow the process. I appreciate your telling our listeners an, an overview of that interview process. And it certainly has inspired me to want to read the entire book and I'm looking forward to it coming out. But the overarching quality that I hear is curiosity. And I yeah. believe that grandparents can play a great role in helping to stimulate that quality in a grandchild starting from when the child is an infant all the way through teenage years into college. And I would think exposing them to many different situations. For instance, I love taking my grandkids on adventures and adventures take many forms geocaching, researching family stories, just walking in the woods and looking for birds. In your experience, how would you stimulate curiosity in a child? Let me share with you what I do every single day when I have the grandkids twice a week. When I pick a four-year-old up from daycare, and then I, when I get my six-year-old, uh, when I pick her up uh, from school and then take her to dance lessons, when I have them one-on-one, -on -one, every day I'll ask them this very simple question. Did you learn anything new today? Sometimes they will. They'll, they'll talk about this. And, or, and if they don't, then I might teach them something new. In the book, I talk about this, but with my older grandson, who's now nine, when he was about seven, he's a you know, just, he's very curious uh, young man. And I remember asking him, did you learn anything new today, Dylan? He said, no. I said, well, would you like to learn something new? He goes, yes. I said, well, do you know what is the tallest mountain in the world, right? He came back to me, Carol, he goes, I do know that it's Mount Everest. And I'm like, holy cow. So, th so then thank God I had a backup question. I'm like, <laughs> do you know what countries border it? You know, do you know what countries border Mount Everest? So I could talk about Nepal and, you know, in China and then, and, uh, but so that's one thing that I do with them. I, I think it's important. And, and, if, and if you have that mindset every day, I, I think it's a good thing to, to pass on to your grandchildren. I also believe in exposing them. So I have like three bird feeders outside of the playroom, right? And I have a poster of all different birds in the Northeast. So if you came in and talked to my grandkids, you know, they could tell you that's a red-bellied woodpecker or that's a grackle or, or that's a cardinal. I'm constantly doing that. And, you know, there's one thing that I, uh, I will tell you. There's a chapter in the book, which I think is really important. And it basically says to a young person, talk to the oldest person in the room. I explained to them, especially your grandparents that have no hidden agenda except giving you the information that will help you. When you go into a room and you see some, with myself personally, if I go to a party and I see somebody, I make it a point of going up and sitting down and talking to them. I think young people are nervous. So in the book, in this chapter, I give them a number of questions. If they wanted to explore talking to the oldest person in the room, 
questions that they can ask them, right? I also talk about my own experience. When I was young, my son in AAU basketball, and I invited all the grandparents to get involved. And three grandfathers embraced it and went to all the games. And a couple of them started going to the practices. And I had one, Grandpa Jack, who was a retired FBI agent, that he'd come to the practice. And these were teenage boys I was coaching. And we'd set him up in a chair and with a chair next to it, a blank chair next to it. And as we were playing or scrimmaging or doing drills, if any of the kids used a curse word, I'd say, okay, time out, go sit with Grandpa Jack. And Grandpa Jack, they'd sit next to Grandpa Jack. And Grandpa Jack would go into his lecture that profanity was the weapon of the witless. And then this would go on and he would talk to them. And then I'd find it, okay, Grandpa Jack, is he ready? Because yeah, I think he, you can put him back in now, Gene. Well, the point being, I got to tell you, it didn't take long to none of those teenage boys cursed anymore, Carolyn. No one wanted to sit next to Grandpa Jack. And then we had Grandpa Harold. He'd go on the road. I remember being in Vegas in this big tournament. Before it, he came in. He loved coming into the locker room, you know, for the speeches before the game. And so I said to him one time, do you want to say a few words? And then Grandpa Harold, you know, he went on a rant where he riled these kids up. They came out. We, we were ready to play, Carol. I just think, uh, I think young people, uh, I think grandparents, we have a responsibility. I think there's so much, there's so much they need to learn from us that, that we need to share with them. You know, one of, the, one of the, the chapters at the end is understand your family history. Who's better to, you know, to give you that? Make sure you get that from your, your grandparents while we're still around to give it to them. Yeah, that's something I believe in, too. Tell me about your grandparents. Well, that's one of the things. It's one of the reasons why I wrote this book. I never got a chance to meet either of my grandfathers. They passed away before I had a chance to meet them. My grandmother's, one was in Ireland. I did meet her a couple of times, only when I was younger. Uh, my other grandmother died when I was very young. And one of the things and one of the reasons that inspired me to write this book is one of my Irish uncles had asked me to become the executor of his will, Carolyn. It was a bigger responsibility than, than I had any idea what was involved with that because he had, he had four children and one had passed who had kids and having to, to deal with that when a couple of these kids weren't getting along was a giant responsibility for me. When it was done, a cousin that I had not seen in, I don't know, 40 or something years knew what I had done for them because she had read one of the letters I sent to one of my cousins when I distributed the funds. And she called me and then she sent me a package with some things she thought I might be interested in having. And in that package was a letter that my Irish grandfather had written to my father. And it gave me some insight into him. I remember saying to my wife, Michelle, you know, if nothing else comes out of this book, but my grandkids or great grandkids can read this and have a feel for what was going on in their grandfather's life, then it would, it's worth the time I spent. And that's something else. That's why I wanted to talk to your audience. One of the things I wish comes out of this is grandparents have so much to share. And I, I think we take for granted how many life lessons we've been through, how many mistakes we've made that maybe we figured out that there's things that they share and maybe someone's inspired to put some of their thoughts down. And if not, maybe writing a book, just in sharing it with their own family. And that's another positive that might come out of this book. I agree with you. And that's one of the reasons that I put together the 
journal that I did about snapshots of my life. I've talked to so many people who say, my life's not important. And I disagree with that 100%. Everybody's life is important. It might not be important enough to win a bestseller award from the New York Times, but it's certainly going to win a bestseller from your kids and grandkids. And so many people don't know how to start writing. But if you take a photograph and tell me about that photograph, you've already started writing that story and passing it down. And I just think that is an absolute best gift that we can give our children and grandchildren and a legacy of love that we can leave, especially if a family is not in a position to leave a financial legacy. Everyone is in a position to leave a legacy of love and experience the world through your eyes if it's written down and they can read it. Yeah. And Carolyn, I'll, I'll give one other piece of advice, you know, and, and, and this is also in the book. You know, I keep a journal, too. I've kept it for over 20 years. And if a grandparent says, well, you know, I've never done that. No, I, I say to you, you know, it, I, I forget what they're called. It's a big red journal. It's a hard cover. And every day it started off with me simply. I might write three things I'm grateful for. If I have a picture of one of my grandkids. I put it in there. But now I'm writing things that I hope down the road, one of them might enjoy reading. My, my, my oldest grandson celebrated his ninth birthday in January. And I took him in. I said, Listen, I want to show you something, Dylan. And I showed him what I wrote in my journal and the pictures I had taken of the day he was born. The first time I held him, I put the, uh, the Wall Street Journal in, you know, from the day he was born. And the first thing he said to me is, uh, he calls me BB. BB, man, you got really bad handwriting. You know, I'm like, that's the first thing. But, and he looked at it. He's only nine, but I, I know it made a difference. So as a, if a grandparent's listening to this and you haven't done something that Carolyn is recommending, start very simple. Just get a, a journal and write things that, that you think, might, you know, they might remember or things they might appreciate down the road. I think it is so important that grandparents listen to your advice. It showed Dylan that you were thinking about him from the very beginning of his life. Right. Yeah, I told him, I said, this was a very special, this is one of my most important days of my life, Dylan, the day you were born. Yeah, it was, it's emotional. And I think down the road, hopefully, you know, it's something he'll look back at. What else would you like to share with our listeners? I would tell them that, first of all, I think, you know, being a parent is probably the number, the most important responsibility that any human being is ever given. I think being a grandparent is really, really important as well. You can really impact, in my opinion, my wife and I, we, we always laugh. You know, our job is not to parent them. Our job is to love them, right? But the message I'd like them to leave with, Carolyn, is we also, I think we can really play a very, very key part. And I think grandparents can really inspire young people's passions and support their passions, you know, and, and let them know that. I think grandparents they might be more open to hear financial advice from a grandparent than they would from a parent. The stuff about health and relationships and just sharing, sharing your journey with them, you know, sharing your journey with them and letting them know that they can come to you and you're not going to judge them. You have no, you know, you're not going to have expectations. You're just going to try to share with them what you've learned from your life and keeping that door open and keeping that communication going. Uh, I think it's just really critical. That's what I like to share with them. And the last thing I'll say to them is, you know, this book, if they like it, 
It's 68 tips. It's 68 small chapters. It's a great graduation gift. Graduation is coming up. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. It can go anywhere from a high school kid up to, you know, 25. And then I think there's a lot of stuff in here that anyone can get from. But uh, it talks about things like I, I see so many of these young people that go to college. They all have college loans, Carolyn. These, these interns I would bring in, they all have college loans. When I ask them, you know, they all know how much they borrowed. They all know that they got to pay it back, you know, within six months, but they can't tell me how much they're going to have to start paying back because they don't figure that out until they stop borrowing. And these kids, are, uh, they have $1,000, $1,200 a month loans, like a mortgage payment for 10, 15, 20 years. I talk about how important it is that don't, and a lot of them have degrees where they probably won't even use in their career. I think it's important, go to a community college for two years if you don't know what you want to major in. Go to that community college. You'll be better prepared to go to the four-year university. When they graduate and they put on their resume, all they have to put on their resume is the four-year school they graduated from. They don't even have to list the community college and their loans are half the price. So there's things like that that I think a grandparent's influence can really make a difference. I also think college is not for everybody. And we should not have the mentality that in order to be successful or valued or respected, that you have to have a four or eight year college degree. People in the trades make more than many people who graduate from college. Absolutely. It goes back to what we talked about initially. Follow your passion. I have friends that are in the landscaping business that own their own landscaping companies, Carolyn. And I tell people this, you know, I asked one friend, you know, you know, what do you do for a living? I cut lawns. I asked someone else, what do you do for a living? Who's a landscaper? I make the world beautiful. It's the eyes you're looking through. Now, the bottom line is the guy who makes the world beautiful, he has a passion for what he's doing. The person who's cutting lawns, it's a job, right? So whatever that passion is, it can be a landscaper. It can be creating video games. That's one of the things I really believe in. I go back to try to find something that you sincerely love doing and then doing it well enough that you can make a living and it will impact your life in so many positive ways. Oh, I couldn't agree more. What, one of the things that I talk about when I talk about experiences, I'm writing this other book and it's been a work in progress for a couple of years. One of the attributes of the book is it talks about early career exploration. And I don't mean in high school where you're figuring out or college where you're figuring out and internships. But for instance, I took my grandchildren to a chocolate factory. And this isn't like a, one of the big ones. This was a small family owned chocolate factory where they brought in the cacao beans and they roasted them and they did everything. And when we left there, my my second older grandson, as we walked out, he said, I think I want to be a chocolatier. Before <laughs> we went into that building, he had never heard that word. He only heard that word because of the presentation that the owner gave. And I was so impressed that we didn't even talk about the word chocolatier. He just heard it. But he was so fascinated by what this company was doing and what this man was doing. And he heard the passion in this man's voice. 
that when he came out, that just was a spontaneous reaction. And it was at that moment that I realized that taking my grandkids and when my children were younger, that the same that my husband and I did for them, we took them to all of these different places and we let them experience what it was they were seeing. So they got to see different people in different roles. And that to me, that curiosity, that passion is what can help as an adult. He was exposed to a job and without any pressure of saying, this is something you might want to consider for a career. He took that in himself. So my What I guess I'm not eloquently saying is by exposing our grandchildren to a lot of different experiences, we also expose them to the different people who have jobs in those careers. And it is a way of introducing careers to our grandchildren they may never have even considered before. And Carolyn, I'll go a step further. And this is the thing I I want your audience to leave with. The chocolatier, when they're 15 or 16, if you were to call or if they were to call or write or send an email to that owner of that of that company and say, I was, you know, I have such a passion for this. I'd like to come in and do a free internship. Would you allow me to come in? Very few business owners will say no to a free internship, right? <laughs> My son did a free internship in the financial services industry. It showed him, first of all, that he wanted to be in that industry, but it, it, it also got him his next job. And as grandparents, we should encourage that. And, and the last thing I will tell you, and I tell my, my young people, in my career, I used to get, because I was on a couple of these lists of top executive recruiters, on a weekly basis, Carolyn, I'd get like 80 to 120 resumes sent to me. Honestly, I couldn't even go through them. Someone on my staff would go through them. But I, if I could help one out of the 100, it was a lot because... In executive search, you specialize in a vertical market. And, you know, it, it could have been the top CEO from the consumer products industry. I couldn't help that person. But a couple of times a year, I would get an email from a young person. They were u- usually an HR major or coming out. And they say, listen, I'm graduating. I have a passion for executive search or I have a passion for human resources. I've done some research. I know you're a thought leader. Would you spend a few minutes and give me some direction?" I always did that call. I felt an obligation to do that call. And I can tell you, most senior people would take that call. And that's what I want young people and I want grandparents to encourage their young people. If they don't know how to start it, do some research, reach out, because I know, and I've asked a lot of the candidates I've placed in the clients, most senior people would respond to a young person's email. You know why, Carolyn? I think we want someone to respond to our grandchild or our kid. I encourage that as well. And wrapping up, let's give our listeners uh, information about how to contact you again. Tell us again the name of your book and the website, the name of your foundation and its website. Yeah. So if they go to www.grad2grownup.com, so it's grad, G R A D 2 T O grownup.com. Not only can they read the introduction and all the 68 tips, but they can download some of the, there's three tips that they can download and then they can get a feel for the sections. We're also going to do some giveaways for your your people. I know we talked about, you'll send a newsletter out, we'll we'll send someone a free book, autographed book, but we'll also give a t-shirt to someone that comes, you know, uh, to the website and checks it out, grad to grownup.com, the charity, and you can send me an email there too, if you want. The charity is 
plantaseedfoundation.org. And, uh, and if someone's out there and their grandkid, that, you know, the parents are having a hard time financially and, and there's something they want to do that they're passionate about and they need some help financially, we'd love to hear from them. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and I am looking forward to the book coming out April 12th. We order it right now. Thank you so much, Carol. You're welcome, Jean. Congratulations to Linda with Cast and Copywriting, who is the winner of a copy of Jean's book, Grad to Grown Up, 68 Tips to Excel in Your Personal and Professional Life. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.